0: So me
1: Welcome to Sonic Talk number 315, recording today live on Wednesday, the 29th of May 2013. Uh, I'm Nick Battletter of SonicState.com, and uh, you are watching this. It's partly brought to you by the wonderful people at Ice. Oh, that's not him. Isotope Iris. Isotope uh, uh, make the fabulous Iris sort of spectral synthesizer where you can layer up to four uh, samples, uh, sound files, and do some amazing things with them. More on that later. And also more on the, win- the results of the competition because we ran a competition last week uh, for haiku, um, Iris-related haiku. We're going to have another competition this week because Iris are very kindly donating yet another copy of Iris. I think there's a pattern emerging here, but I'm not supposed to tell anybody because uh, they don't want it to affect sales <laughs> but hopefully they'll sell more than one a week but anyway thank you very much um for listening um th- we'll uh, we'll start we got two guests this week so i think it's the same as last week actually so we're kind of back to our cozy threesome i'll say that in a kind of slightly less uh, s- uh, yeah anyway dave spears <laughs> <laughs> g4 software with his dot com modular you're still uh, you did send me a lovely picture of your new window but you're not in the room with the window just yet right
0: no no maybe next week Chris and I um, moved the Whirlits of Piano, which has also got a built-in speaker and amp in it, and the, the lunchtime today. And we're both kind of hurting my shoulders a bit. What, so just to...
1: the, the EP200A? No, no, yeah. no, no, no. no. I was going to this, say. This is like the, What's the matter uh, with you,
0: man? <laughs> this is the teacher edition, you know. The oh, one
1: the... yes, the one with the huge banner. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, yeah, I've got that, and I've got... A 800 DV in there at the minute, but I'm still waiting for the skirting to be done and a door to be put on. Actually, so yes, hopefully that will be uh, end of this week, and I might even be in next week.
1: Oh, cool. Well, um, G4 Software, of course, makes some fine software instruments, including rack extensions, uh, all sorts of other things too. So do just check them out, and some really smart videos on um, analog synthesizers coming out there as well, including um, a little bit on the dot .com. I think. One, one or two.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, that's interesting because what is it? I did put a post up the other day saying, "What is it about YouTube and this OCD nonsense about changing everything every five minutes?" God, I went to upload a video the other day, and it's like we're now changing the design completely, and you've only got a couple of days to do that. Blah blah blah. Oh so yeah, just...
1: this is the new YouTube One <laughs> channel, which is uh, yeah. We've I did I did that actually. I I've created a new YouTube. Um, Thing, which has got loads of mini Sonic State logos on it for the time being but it, apparently it's supposed to increase subscribers by so up
0: we, to 10% and we have to do like a video saying what our channel's about I've, I've just got this no video. no
1: That what you do you can create a short trailer that will only show that will be ho- edited highlights that will only show to people who have not subscribed to your channel ah uh,
0: okay I just thought I was going to have to sit there and go this is a uh, YouTube <laughs> about synthesizers
1: just send just upload that that'll be fine <laughs> Anyway, back to uh, back, back to me, uh, and uh, yes, you can see we've got the, uh, the the blinking lights in the background. Not as pretty, we're not using the, 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 the ones that were pretty at the top, they're the Chauvet part, uh, 64 LEDs, which have a fade, which are much more pretty, and these ones are the cheap ones we bought from Toman, that just kind of switch on and off, <laughs> but they're fine, you know, it's just because we've got oh, a shoot right. tomorrow, we need to uh, change it up, but anyway, let's say hello to Mr Mark Tinley. Hello. Mark Jenny lightbean.com, also a collaborator on the TV Mania project, project which I assume is going well.
2: That was quite a long time ago.
1: I <laughs> oh, was it? Well, I still mention it.
2: It wasn't that long. It was only okay, a few okay. weeks. I mean, the, the release wasn't a long time ago. <laughs> but the, uh, oh, yes, The main oh, no. collaboration, you know, the day in, day out kind of like, what are we going to do today? Let's write another song, blah, blah, blah. That was,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. All so, right, fair. But anyway, yeah, tvmaniamusic.com or dot.
2: Oh, yeah, gosh. actually, uh, given that it's just been released, actually, no, you're absolutely it's good right. good to plug should, it, yeah. We're yeah. just
1: so way ahead of the curve, it feels like yesterday already.
2: I know.
1: So, Ma- Mark, I see um, you're slightly different uh, quality of image there.
2: I've I think the we- camera.
1: Ah, yeah, but... Yeah. I think it is. I, I must say, it's not as contrasty, but I think I'm going to suggest that you try the, uh, um, the what's it, the uvc control. Oh, I'm going to write it in here so it's easy to see. Try this, UVC-CTRL-GUI. Dash dash if you search for that, it's a little OSX control panel. Uh, in fact, if I now switch on the um, this, it might actually help. Uh, if you. Oh, yeah. There we go. It will. Um, what it does is it allows you control over the contrast of the auto features. So, like for instance, I've got it set up on this camera so that when I do this, it doesn't affect the contrast or the color balance or anything or the autofocus and stuff. So if you were to cover up your your yeah, and then whip it away quickly, it would probably adjust. Take a moment to adjust. It does a little bit. I can see it. You can see it. But take my word for it. <laughs> It's great, man. But the, the exciting thing about what you've done, Mark, is actually more to the point. You kind of created a, um, a what's it called? A Mac. A, a, a ProBook Pro Mac. Mac.
2: <laughs> so just... It really is a ProBook as well, except it's not a Mac. Well, it is a Mac. Well, it's running a Mac. Um, uh,
1: so this so is a hackintosh, essentially, right? I was, bit, I
2: was right? wrestling with problems with my MacBook Pro, and I thought, I'm going to have to rebuild this machine. And then I was thinking, should I put Mountain Lion on it? And I thought, no, I don't want to do that. And then uh, I kind of thought... And then I thought, well, maybe I should buy a new MacBook Pro. And then I thought, well, what if I just find out what people are running OSX on PC-wise? So I thought it might be an interesting little research project just to see you know if it's possible to do it so i went on to um, all the forums and i found this guy called tony mac is
1: that run, this um, guy tony mac yeah. x6 yeah that guy
2: so i found him and i looked in the laptop section and uh, and it said most recommended laptop is an hp probook 4530s so i went okay i'll look for one of those on ebay and i paid 200 quid which is 300 dollars roughly And then, I mean, one of the problems that I have is that I still need to run Snow Leopard because I have things in PowerPC, so I need Rosetta. So if I put Mountain Lion on my laptop, I suddenly lose access to all those things. So I thought, well, when I looked through all the information, it said it's very easy to set up. Uh, You can run Snow Leopard or Lion or Mountain Lion on it. So I thought it would be an interesting experiment to try and do that. So... um, so that's what I've done, and here I am. I'm in Mountain line at the moment, but I've also got a partition with Snow Leopard in it. And oh. it took... Snow Leopard did take quite a long time to set up. It took one hour.
1: <laughs> Good Lord. Well, that's... Format like,
2: 5, install it, update it to 10.6.8, get the whole thing working apart from Bluetooth and the internal microphone. And then I thought, and having succeeded with Snow Leopard, I thought I should probably try Mountain Lion just for the hell of it. I mean, I didn't. I preferred was. I wanted to run Snow Leopard on a laptop, not Mountain Lion. But now, I've got both because I set Mountain Lion up, and that took about thirty minutes. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. So, how do um, you
1: do the multi partition thing? I suppose does Boot Camp not get involved in that? I just you just. Well,
2: you can't do this if you don't already have a Mac. So if Ah. you haven't got a Mac, you're probably going to have a difficulty setting it up because you need to be able to run uh, disk utility. I suppose, I mean...
1: You could do it on somebody else's, I suppose. Yeah, you you
2: might be able to do it on someone else's. And um, if you're going to run Mountain Lion on it, they don't advocate stealing Mountain Lion. That's not what this is about. It's more of an experiment just to see what's possible in terms of running things on PC hardware. So you have to go to the app store and you have to buy mountain lion so obviously you need access to uh, a snow leopard or a lion computer to get to the app store to buy it and then you can make a boot usb stick but again you need to be able to run mount, uh, mac os to do that i suppose it, i suppose you could you could get the boot cd and you could boot into snow leopard if you had the snow leopard dvd disc you could boot into that and you could format your hard drive using the disk utility on the CD, yeah. then you could probably go that way. But I don't, I, wouldn't, I don't think I could have managed this without already owning a couple of Macs, because I just kind of... I built,
1: so what kind of processor power did you get for your um, your 200 quid? Is it an i3?
2: It's an i3, yeah. Right, okay. And,
1: and what about... I could,
2: I, then I looked at... And then I sort of thought, well, maybe I could run a faster computer. So I looked at the different options, and this particular computer can go up to an i7-2670QM, or it might be a 2760QM, which is 2.2 gigahertz quad-core i7. And then if you run it on Geekbench, it would run at about 11,000, which is faster than a MacBook Air. And I was thinking, well, hang on a minute. How much do they cost? So I looked on eBay, and they're about £100. So for £300, I could be running a computer that's (laughs) as fast as a MacBook Air.
1: Hmm, that's interesting. I'm guessing... I mean, there are some uh, legal legal issues, presumably, in that. All sort of, you know, e, the EULA and what have you. What about updates and I things like that?
2: I haven't read the EULA, so I don't know. I know, I imagine that the end-user license agreement probably says you are not allowed to use this software on anything other than an, an Apple computer. Um, but I haven't read that anywhere, and wouldn't it's such a long agreement, isn't it? I don't know yeah. what it says, really, but... Well, that I should, think that, yeah. Like, um, I, I'm pretty I'm sure ignorance it, is a pretty
1: good, so, good defence case.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing it because I want to um, no. uh, do Apple out of any revenue. I, I've already got an Apple computer, which I've bought and paid for. So, I've, in fact, I've got five Apple computers, which I've bought and paid for. I'm just really interested in whether or not it's possible and what's... Uh, you know, I want to try recording music on it and just see if it holds up, because it would be interesting to... I mean... I ha- there are there are a couple of issues, and one issue is uh, I'm running VMware on it to run my PC, and my PC runs Fruity Loops and it runs um, SoundForge. Right. When I run Fruity Loops, if I try and run the ASIO driver, it goes absolutely mental and crashes the whole machine. And I guess that's because the ASIO because VMware talks to the hardware directly, so it's ex- it's expecting to see an Apple hardware at the end of its driver isn't it and then if i'm running asio within my pc and it's trying to find an apple hardware and uh, and i'm trying to get my latency right down to like 2 or 3 milliseconds just won't do it it won't even do long latency though
1: right so the so, sa- sound so the sound drivers are a bit of an issue that that but that's kind
2: yeah, of uh, not it doesn't seem to be in logic in logic pro it's not sound driver seems to work fine and i, I can play the keys and and or I can play the computer keyboard and get, like, no latency at all, really, or not that I can notice. and Or I can plug a USB keyboard straight into it and just play on that, and it just feels like, you know, almost as fast as any synth, I suppose. So it's probably down in the 32 millis, 32 what's it rate. Right? I don't know what the numbers are. <laughs> well, that's
1: cool, though. So I mean, oh, because I mean, it always used to be, you know, when I looked at it in the past, it was so obscure and of information. So this uh, Tony Mac... X86.com is the place to have a look at that kind of stuff.
2: I, don't, I think the trick is to go and look and see who's supporting it, because there's a whole team of them on there playing around with this, and they've I did do a Dell Mini before. I experimented with that because I thought it would be nice to have a very small computer running OS X. And and that was just disastrous. I mean it just would it you know it sort of works, but sometimes it comes on and the sound's not on, and other times it comes on and and it won't connect to Wi-Fi, and, uh, and, you know, trying to find the right information. Oh, there's a lot, there's tons of to it here,
1: isn't there? There's, he's got, you know, it's a mine of it.
2: Yeah, well, these guys seem to be collaborating on writing an installer specifically designed to put the kernel extensions for this specific computer together. So that's what makes it work, I think. The fact that the they. Uh, installer for the hp pro book was dated like may the 9th or something and we're at the end of may aren't we a couple of weeks later so it's constantly being updated constantly being supported and when i first set it up i got a very slow benchmark on geekbench and i thought i'm sure this is slower than my macbook now so i um, went on the forum and said this is my result and they said oh try this and they just emailed me a different kernel extension and i put that in a folder and um and another thing that went in the extras folder and suddenly bam it was really fast so oh, that's so, interesting yeah.
1: interesting um, i know it, dave they, I, I mean it's
2: like having support as well
1: that's cool i mean dave you're a, you're a developer right so i mean do you get kind of people saying i'm running it on a kind of uh, custom uh, i mean it makes that sort of thing almost impossible i suppose that's the problem I and mean, you can't really support non um, you know non supported platforms but have you ever tried anything like this or sort of seen anybody running it successfully
0: Uh, A couple of times, yeah. And, in fact, it's interesting what Mark's saying because, literally, uh, John is talking about getting a couple of, you know, automated build machines. We looked at the Mac minis uh, purely so, you know, he can kind of continue working on his main Mac. But this may be a really good, nice, cost-effective solution. In fact, I might talk to Mark afterwards about building us one.
1: (laughs) What would you, I mean, what would you use that for? I mean, essentially, I mean, what would it kind of make sense? Would it be more of a multi-OS machine that just made it easier for you to switch, or does it kind of have a specific purpose?
0: Really, I think for compiling and uploading builds to our own server. So obviously, if John's working on something, he can just shunt that across to uh, one of these kind of lowly Macs, and it's not draining his Big Mac of resources the whole time.
1: Ah, right, so it's like it just got an automated process on it that deals with that kind of thing for running. Yeah. Com- so yeah. it would need to run Xcode or something like that, so it would be the compiling point, right? Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. I mean, I think all of these things, you know, multi-purpose machines, I mean, we've talked about this before, haven't we, the kind of idea, the notion that, you know, the platform, it should be really platform agnostic, and it just, it's just how much juice you've got, really, I suppose that would be the ideal scenario.
0: Well, I mean, we're I think, always, you know, having to kind of every time a new OS comes out, it pretty much means another set of computers for us because obviously we're continually having to run Mountain Lion, Billy Goat, <laughs> Monkey Puzzle Tree, or whatever it's going to be called. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we we can't we can't deprecate anything for actually for but years. The,
2: therein lies a the problem. Ah, though, because the
0: new it? ones won't run.
2: I bought a Mac Mini, and I need to be able to access. Snow Leopard, and I can't put Snow Leopard on my Mac Mini without hacking it in some way, which is seems you know like a really odd thing to have to do to a computer I just paid 700 quid for or something. Um, it just won't run Snow Leopard because it's got HD 4000 graphics and there's no support for it in Snow Leopard, so it wouldn't, you know, somebody I, Mark, I what, go so, can I just somebody's oh, got
1: uh, uh notifications going off all the time.
2: Sorry. Uh, I can just like, hear it. It's like, plink, plop.
1: Oh. Uh, okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because, uh, like, uh, for f- certainly from my point of view, I used to run, uh, I had, a uh, like, uh, some software on this on my previous MacBook that used to run under Rosetta that won't anymore, so it's gone. And yeah. that's the sort of thing that kind of you miss, really, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, definitely makes sense.
2: I mean, I can't not have that. And and then the other thing is, what I've done on this machine is I've put Logic 9 on the Mountain Lion partition, and on the Snow Leopard partition, I installed Logic 7, and then dragged across a version of Logic 6, which means that if I've got something from a really old Logic project, which I need to uh, load up, I no longer need to go and find my G4 Mac to load it, I can load it in that side of the partition, save it somewhere, and then just flip over into the other side of the operating you know into the other partition to the other operating system and then you know i have to load it and save it in six before it will load in nine Uh, yeah that makes any sense it's just a drag
1: isn't it i guess what you really want is to put that all on an ssd so booting between uh os is just like this you know that would be the way to do it so it's just almost like switch off switch on again very quickly in a matter of seconds but as i discovered i put an ssd in our uh, mac pro here thinking oh look that'll be good and I realise it's only it's so old. It's only got eSATA. It's not eSATA two, whereas the drive can run like three or four times faster than the controller can handle it. So it actually boots at the same speed as a hard disk. <laughs> so it's like oh. So what's for me, the, to what's ca-
2: that then? What's the difference between eSATA and eSATA two? How would you know what? It's ju- I don't got- know.
1: It's just the, the the bus speed. So it goes much faster. Basically, the drive is capable of going much faster than the controller is. Uh, I could get a card for the Mac Pro and then run the. Drive off that, and then it would fly. But that would mean, you know, another. Then you've
2: got things hanging off everywhere, though. Well, yeah, sort of
1: all of that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's just like a bit, a bit of a. uh, But anyway, I mean, at least it's got no moving parts and should last a little while.
2: Um, I mean, I suppose my the the other thing as well is I've got like Pro Tools Eight still, and and Pro Tools Eight won't run on anything other than Snow Leopard, and I only use Pro Tools so that when somebody sends me a session and says, right, we're doing a remix, here's your, here's the session. And they haven't turned it into stems. I need to get in and, and sort of look and see what they did and turn it into linear tracks so I can drag into Logic to play around with. And uh, I don't want to buy Pro Tools 9, 10, or 11 just to transfer sessions because that seems insane.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of an ex- exotic uh, luxury. But, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And, uh, Mark did uh, can- has kindly written us an article. We're just uh, going to go through it and remove any uh, uh, any possible <laughs> we're having it scanned for legality reasons but i'm pretty sure <laughs> i'm pretty sure I it because it's an interesting uh, take on it and if you know if this uh, tony mac x 86 can exist i'm pretty sure we can publish an article about someone who's done it and just why the reasons why they did it and how easy or difficult it was so stay tuned well, hopefully
2: for that. apple will see that uh, i mean I, i'm really not it's really not about trying to screw anybody over it's a def, it's all about playing around with experimenting with technology it's a very steep learning curve and i enjoy steep learning curves and and actually coming out the end of it and having the satisfaction of being able to make something work and go wow that's kind of amazing that that and you know i like apple and i've got lots of apple computers and last time they knocked on my door they brought me a new battery for my um, powerbook g4 so
1: <laughs> good for you
2: if they, a if, they, if they come knocking on the door, I'll have to throw it in the bath or something. <laughs> no. I don't know anything about it. No, no, it. Don't know, yeah. It wasn't
1: me. <laughs> um, Right. Well, I think what we should do is we'll now um, have a message from our sponsor, of course, uh as we know, Isotope are sponsoring the show. And we do have news of the winner of the competition and also news of another competition, which I will uh, say after these words from our sponsor. So if I press this button, we should have an ad coming along fairly t- fairly soon. Might take a little while to get going because the video sometimes seems to... Uh, I press it again. Ah, here we go. This is Isotope. Natural intuitive selection and audio visibility. You can manipulate your audio visually. You can do all sorts of things. Draw and select individual events with Isotope Iris, lasso tool, shape-shifting, apply synthesis controls to your selections, uh, and layers, shape and morph new textures. You can sculpt sound and enjoy warm, lush filters, delays, reverbs, choruses, distortions for each layer. There's an awful lot of stuff you could do, even to the basic sound, after you've... uh, turn them into the way that you want them to and, and manipulate them there's lots of sound libraries as well we've got the sounds of wood glass food toys voice altered and prepared objects as well as crazy modular synthesizers of the iris expansion packs well worth looking at you can download a free demo of isotope iris and sort of explore this visual synthesis world it really is a kind of unique experience free 10-day demo isotope if i push this fader up here yes isotope.com forward slash iris check it out it's definitely worth a check and also last week um we did have a competition which was uh brilliantly um, conceived by uh kim at isotope Myself said so, i know let's get them to write a haiku poem on the subject of iris and i tell you what i, I mean we we must have had 70 Entries, it's let's go bonkers, and uh, some of them were were great. Some of them weren't so great. Some of them rather um, were were trying to uh, pull on the same things as like I'm skinned I need a copy. Can I have it in haiku form? Which I, that, it's not going to work twice. I just have to say. So the winner this week is called GJ Ophid. Oh, time if I can pronounce this. Why does the winner have to have a difficult to pronounce name? DJ Ophidian Official, and he posted this four days ago, and this is his haiku. What is this? I see. A shape, an inspiring form. I need to hear it. And that was a favourite of both myself and Kim, so uh, that's why it wins. So I will contact that person and uh, they will give me some details and I can um, get them credited with the stuff and they can download the copy and enjoy it. And last week uh, we were talking about um, some 80s bands and uh, there were some great 80s sort of... uh, imaginary 80s tribute band names coming into the chat room, one of which was A Sock of Flea Girls, which I thought made me think that has to be an Iris competition. It's got nothing to do with Iris itself, apart from the fact that, you know, the 80s was obviously full of uh, new synthesizers and, and, and interesting technology. So that's basically as tenuous a link as there is. So this week, uh, in the comments below, I'd like for you to leave... Uh, an imaginary 80s tribute band, and the funniest, most amusing whatever one that we pick will win a copy of Iris. So, yeah, just to give you an idea, for instance, A Sock of flea girls, And there was also another one last week, which I can't say, but was based on Wet, 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 which was uh, extremely amusing, but uh, I can't say it because it it would mean (laughs) that we'd actually end up with um, uh, a parental guidance. We should
2: have a bonus price. A b- bonus prize for anybody that actually records a whole song in the style of.
1: Well, yeah, no, that's that's asking a lot. I can't really commit to that because, basically, we haven't got anything to give. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but
1: Iris, uh, uh, I still don't do. So, once again, uh, imagine...
2: We could give them a 15-minute slot on the show, couldn't we? Maybe. I mean, they could come and explain how they... Um, deconstructed the, the the style of that band and came up with something that sounded like it.
1: Yes. Uh, Mark, you're, what you're doing is creating a whole world of judging and uh, stuff that, might, <laughs> that I'm not sure I've got time for at the moment. Maybe at, at the end or at a milestone we could do something like that. That's a good idea, though but maybe not for next week.
2: I thought I was creating an interesting segue into the next topic.
1: You Damn. are, but I was trying to finish the competition. I want to make sure that people understand. So, imaginary 80s tribute band name in the comments below, either on YouTube or in the uh, comments for Sonic State, uh, where this is posted on Sonic State. But thank you, Mark. You're indeed right. The next um, the next topic is the uh, Deconstructing Classic Tracks. Now, I think I've got a video for this. Let me see if I can play that. Yeah, here we go. This is by Point Blank. <laughs> it's, just, it's part of their electronic music course. Um, it's based in London. It's a London school. They've done some really good videos recently, actually. And this right, is uh, I'm Ski O'Conful. I'll
2: producer, let him talk. am composer and keyboard player. And I've worked with bands and artists like Incognito, The Bays, and Joey Negro. And you're watching Electronic Music Composition. <laughs>
1: So the idea is, uh, what they're going to do is they deconstruct a track, sort of show you how it's put together and kind of di- yeah. dissect the arrangement and the chords. It. I'm not going to play it all because um, I'll get into trouble and I don't want the YouTube police on my, ca- on my case. So the, um, but it got me thinking about, you know, the, this whole concept of deconstruction, you know, the, the, the mining, the, um, the mining of the, uh, uh, the multi tracks and what have you is a really, really good way of learning how to put things together. And I've noticed that certainly uh, Propellerheads have done it to a great extent, really well. When they did their, um, what was that, month of May, wasn't it, music production May, where they just basically had people on every day, and it was just like a festival of Propellerheads. There was a really, really, DJ Lucky Date did some really, really good stuff, and it was just fascinating. And I just wonder whether or not, um, you know, you find that a, a good way to learn yourselves, and what you perhaps what you'd actually like to get your hands on as a multi-track, or more of a, I'm thinking more of a kind of session, so you can see what the how they did something rather than just you know you really like Stevie Wonder, Dave.
0: <laughs> yes, the Stevie Wonder one, the superstition one that I got of Stevie Wonder's is amazing. It's like eight trucks of clavvy. I kind of wonder at what point the engineer went, we've probably got enough clavvy now. Um, but no, I love, I do love. I've got a, quite an extensive collection. It's a bit of a kind of a trade that goes on amongst me and a few musos or musos and me and they are really fascinating i think actually more fascinating because of the mastering that's involved and the mix engineering you know when you really start to yeah dissect these things in in their very kind of raw state they're pretty rough and it's how they how that has turned into this incredibly kind of glossy cohesive project i'm more intrigued by there's a guy and in fact it's quite appropriate in that um there's a guy i'm working with at the minute uh who is just amazing at deconstructing old classic tracks no multi-tracks involved he sent me uh he did an ultravox track and i swear it's you know it it could be Billy playing everything pretty much. And that then wasn't... he sent me a craftwork track. And the craftwork track, in fact, I'm trying, I'm trying to persuade him right now. He uses all our instruments and he just kind of creates the patches to replicate these old tracks. And they are utterly, utterly brilliant. And I'm trying to persuade him to uh, kind of let me film either him or for him to give us the patches and me kind of talk through people because that is quite <laughs> stunning.
2: Sorry, yeah. a sound pack as well. Oh,
0: yeah, that's Have a great... Craft work
2: sound pack.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it really would be. I, I can't tell the difference between the track that he's given me and the original track.
1: That's a great idea. John Van Eaton is uh, on fire in the chat room. There's all, now all we've got is just people posting <laughs> 80s tribute bands, <laughs> which are just... I'm sorry, they're very distracting. I mean, I'm just going just, to... They're, they're hungry. Jurex, <laughs> Jurex. Juran's uh, hungry like a milf. I thought. Hey! <laughs> it's just it's getting a bit out of hand i'm not no more clues you're just gonna have to do it yourself um yes i think that's a really good idea particularly for you guys um because obviously you know it it showcases the stuff that you do i mean i think in in terms of daws in the way you know when you hear and you can see how people manipulate news because i don't know about you or or you mark but when i'm coming at things from a kind of I'm not a classically trained engineer or musician or anything, but I'm sure I follow certain conventions. And when you see other people just completely ignoring them and doing things completely wrongly, but getting these great effects, that's kind of what I find quite inspiring.
2: I think, uh, well, first of all, I need to throw some passive aggression out into the world. And that is like Ski Oakenfall. Do you think that is his his real name? (laughs) Uh, it's a very sure. clever play on Paul Oakenfold and Adamski, isn't it? It's like if you were to uh, think, yeah. I'm going to be a producer and I want people to remember my name. I want to be memorable. I know. I'll call myself Ski Oakenfold.
1: Um, Could be. He's very good, though. He did, they did this really good Propellerheads one where they just created well, – no, he, not Propellerheads. Uh, uh, push, where they just – He's
2: annoyingly good, isn't he? Yes. Um, so, so I'm – and my passive aggression is like I mean, like you, I'm not really a musician. I, I, I watched him go like this track is blah 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 blah. Let's work out what key it's in, and then it's all oh, right. This one's in F uh, F sharp minor and or whatever it was. And I'm just kind of like, how did he do that? And I'm like really annoyed because if I try to work that out, I'll be there. I've got software that does it. So I've got a piece of software called something like Core Data which you run across the track on the PC and it works out what all the chords are in different sections of the song. But then even if I've got all the chords, it takes me like maybe three hours to work out the key signature. And the only way I can really do it is to just try and play a major scale on the um, keyboard and then transpose it till I can play all the white notes over the song (laughs) and none of them clash. So that can take quite a long time because wow. I mean while I can sort of hear it I sort of can't so and then I and then I don't really know if it's in major or minor so I always anything I work out always works out to be in a major key eventually, and I always just I'm... transpose the keyboard until I can play all white notes over it. And then uh, I, I see. And I go, okay, it's in, might sort of C major, but it might be A minor, really.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got you. I, I must admit, whenever we used to get those kind of uh, mixes in um, at the studio when I was doing a lot of remixes, and some of them had, like, too many chords... I used to just go and ask Will Gregory, who was sharing the studio, who's one half a golf rap, I mean, Ber- <laughs> Ber- Berkeley School Train, I said, Will, can you just work these chords out for me and play them into the sequencer so then I can manipulate them, and then that would be fine. So if there's any jazziness going on, he would sort it out for me. So, but but I
2: love working with Nick Rhodes because one of the things he does is he'll stand there in front of the keyboard and he'll, pl- he'll work out the chords and then he'll go, OK, that's that, and this is this, and this is this, and then he goes, <clears throat> and he just goes... I know, let's really, and I won't say the word, F-em up. What would happen if we do this? And he just goes, cronk. And then you kind of like go, ooh. And then you go, actually, that works really well. And then you put it somewhere underneath. And then it's something that's like doing something. And I, like We're so used to hearing things in thirds and fifths and sevenths. And we're so used to hearing like pure melodic resonance is happening underneath music, if suddenly something's not doing a pure melodic resonance and it's pulling or pushing in a really weird way, you listen to the track and then you go, what happened there? And you put it on and you listen to it again and then you go, what is that? And then you sort of spend a lot of time listening to something over and over again and I I think it's a hidden essence of pop that people don't kind of notice is that lots of pop music's written by people who aren't musicians. Well, so yeah. the second track, when he's working out that Aluna George track, which I have to say is awesome. I love that
1: track. Is it? Is it this okay. one? Hold on now, because I, I found this and I just wanted to play because I wanted to know if it was this one. Is it this one? No, it doesn't sound like it. I better stop there because it's going to get me into trouble. Oh, well, that's annoying. There's something was, else.
2: Uh, I've got it on here because I I um I can't play you the video. It's this one? Sounds like popcorn. Yeah,
1: it's just of looking does, for a couple of
2: these. It's, like, it's like it's the second song he decons or the second video on that page you sent a link for that he deconstructs, and it's kind of like it. it it's like all the good things about 80s acid house, but without the 303. And, and it's bouncy and happy. And it reminded me of Big Fun a little bit. Uh, and it's just I didn't really that one. cute and cool. It's like. It's this one. So the one I Luger looked at was. George. All ah, cool. right. I was. I, uh, uh, did so it's- it- so he
1: white noise by disclosure featuring a Luna george exactly
2: yes yes gotcha so he did the thing over that where he went let's work out what key this is in and he went and he went this is in f something major or minor or whatever it was and then he said um right so let's work out the chords and then he said so this is oh yeah okay and then he was going so this is a sus fourth chord and then he said oh but they left that note out and I thought, well, they didn't know it was a sus fourth and they probably didn't leave that note out. They probably found something they liked and played it and then they went somewhere else. And he said, and then they played a such and such and this was a this and they left this out.
1: He's got so a great little... they're sh- leaving
2: notes out of the court.
1: Ah, he's got a great little shot here. I don't know if you see, it's his physical keyboard with a kind of MIDI one above it with all the notes on it that shows That's- which ones he's playing. That's a really neat educational tool. I'm going to have to steal that.
2: <laughs> That's where my <laughs> passive aggression came from. Because he's a really, good player. <laughs> oh,
1: well, yeah, well, you know, he's a keyboard player, but I suppose that's going to work. That, that.
2: So, I mean, so I suppose my point being that, that, you know, he's deconstructing it and he's trying to make it musical when perhaps it wasn't because he's also talking about, you know, this something or another has got thirds and fifths in it and then it goes up a third and it must go up on a pitch bend wheel. And he's trying to make, <laughs> you know, trying to assign musicality to something which was probably written by people who weren't musicians, and the reason why that song is so cool is because it leaves a whole load of musical rules out.
0: Oh
1: my God! Sorry, I'm really distracted because there's just they're going crazy in the chat room. There's some really brilliant ones: <laughs> Fat Benatar, Bon Jehovah. <laughs> but the best one so far, it was. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, this is uh, Paula Abdomen, <laughs> I saw, which I did... actually reminds me a little bit because I was watching. I, I was making the show notes last night, and um, there was uh, Paul. Paula, no, J-Lo was on Britain's Got Talent, which the rest of the family are watching, and she came on and she just basically let everything hang out on only post-Watershed. It was really kind of a bit like, whoa, I don't need to see that. Okay, it's all right. I get it. You've got a really big arse, okay? That's fine. I can see almost all of it.
2: Anyway. I think think the cleverest one I've seen fly past in the chat room so far is Ben without Cat, (laughs) because it's a double whammy, because... Curiosity Killed the Cat singer was also called Ben. That's so true. If you, uh, yeah, so uh, that's a kind of a double.
1: We can't prejudge. Slamming. We've just got to hold off. I oh, know, Dave. What oh, yeah. the, so, okay, do, do people send you do, you? do you find that you know, if you get sent a session, because that's always the tricky thing. When you send a session to somebody, you tend to tidy up, color code it, kind of make all the tracks obvious and what have you. Do you think that kind of breaks down some of the nifty processing that you that you would normally see, or do you get a chance to look at that sort of? So, if someone sends you a song, for
0: instance. Uh, actually, do you want to hear something? This is quite. A, this is a big sordid secret of mine. A strange secret of mine. Um, I worked for a producer for a, quite a, a, a while, and we made, or he made, but I worked out all the chord structures and whatnot because he was a producer and not a musician. We made gay high energy tracks of classic hits. Right. Which was really fascinating because all the women wanted to sound like Matey Boy from Bronsky Beat, like high pitched. Yeah. And all the guys wanted to sound like KD Lang. Ah. No, hang on. All the women wanted to sound like Kate. Anyway, it was hilarious. And at one point, KD Lang actually came in the studio. Oh, man. And these guys in check shirts and very tight jeans were kind of literally having to cross their legs. They were so excited.
1: I think Katy Lang is one of the finest singers on the planet. Actually, I really do. I don't know what she's was, like
0: these days, but she's. It was quite stunning when she uh, she was she kind of just jammed along one section. Wow. It was. I have to say, it was the cleanest, most meticulous studio I've ever been into. Like, <laughs> I know, guys s750s and everything was absolutely no finger
1: there. dirt around the uh, around the, no, no. the parameter wheel
0: it was brilliant i was the kind of you know oikist person in there it's it funny you say funny. that
1: I, i've got because i actually had a period where i was making um it wasn't it wasn't high energy disco it was um line dance house <laughs> <laughs> that sounds which, quite interesting. which was i did ghost riders in the sky and dueling banjos Excellent and, and uh, fortunately, Julian banjo. banjo. Well, because uh, no, but it was with a banjo player who's a guy called Leon Hunt, who is probably one of the best banjo players in the country, if not wider area. He's he was taught by Bella Fleck. He was he, he wanted to learn banjo so much he just basically bought a ticket to where Bella Fleck lived, turned up and said, "Mr. Fleck, I want you to teach me banjo," and he oh, did. Wow. So I you know, and, and he yeah. is quite yeah, like I say, quite possibly one of the best bats. So it was just like. and we played it right because he was playing along and it had to be a click to a click and it was i just kind of timed it and it was just bang on there was absolutely no variation and that was just him playing you know and it was like you know i I, i'm pretty sure that julian banjos is probably really easy for him to play because you know it's i don't know how difficult it is compared to some other things it just Uh, sounds complicated but (coughs) uh, i don't know if it uh, but it did actually uh, it made it onto an album called now that's what i call line dance (laughs) (laughs) Hey, <laughs> I can't remember I can't remember whether it uh, but it was only a couple of days work but it was quite a laugh but that's my guilty secret I don't think anybody would have learned much about that session for, if I'd sent it to them though apart from that this guy could really play banjo
0: I really like that idea of kind of you know okay so let's see how this works in fact it was it's quite a challenge it in it, it irritates me when i can't work out exactly what's going on and i have been known to kind of sit there all night and work out okay where is that where is that weird note coming from within that yeah. chord? the lost note yeah, yeah absolutely is,
2: nick rhodes stuff would drive you mental then probably
0: there is one chord <laughs> in fact literally we put
2: a finger in the right in the middle of everything he'll work out the chord and then just go oh, let's do that you go oh
0: yeah mm, like, interesting like No, there's one, there's a track that Gaz is doing with Carl, you know, there's an Underworld track that they do, and uh, the pianist, Pete Chilvers, is just, he's throwing a couple of, and in fact, when I went to see them at the Union Chapel gig, I made him write it down for me exactly what he was playing, so I could go, because it had been driving me nuts, it's just like this one chord. Ah. Yes, no, I really enjoy those kind of things.
2: I was doing a re- well, I was working on a remix last night, and, then, and at the end of the uh, chorus section, I wanted to get out of the chorus section and back into a slightly different... I don't know if it's a different key, but certainly a different musical place. So I put a pitch bend on the bass line, and then I, I uh, burned the whole thing to disc and sent it as an MP3, and then I listened back to it. And, and because I put the pitch bend at the front of a region... The next region that played was still on plus Uh, two uh, pitch bend. So the whole of the rest of the track was in this really weird tuning and I was like going, there's something really wrong here. It took me ages to work it out because I was tired. But... um, yeah, it makes you wonder if people accident, you know, have these accidents and then they end up in things and then we sort of try to decipher it and maybe they don't even know what happened. Yeah, it's like
1: that whole thing about, uh, you know, people analyzing poetry, isn't it? And kind of great literature and, uh, or paintings, and half the time it's just like, yeah, that'll do. And then yeah. figure it out afterwards. And then you learn how to talk it up and make it sound like it's very. Uh, um kind of uh, uh, philosophical and uh, there was
0: a fantastic program on that note there was fantastic that Bowie uh, five years program I don't know whether you saw that the other night but it's it's oh, Wakeman yeah. talking but- about going through life on Mars and all the various key changes in there and I remember when somebody put that in front of me like a million years ago and went just play this I mean I'd known no score in front of me just to kind of play it by air and I was there for hours and hours it's like it's like a bloody sudoku puzzle but for musos
1: Ah, apparently that's quite funny you should say that. Apparently, uh, in the 70s, um, it was all or 80s, Stuart McConey, who used to write for NME, uh, this is part of it, started the rumour that David Bowie <laughs> invented Connect 4.
0: And uh, Bob Holness played sax on Baker Street. That was his <laughs> other one, wasn't it? <laughs> that's just superb rumours. I like that that's sort of just... thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh that maybe that I'm going to have that that's going to be next week's competition yeah invent an implausible music uh, music rumour anyway um uh, if you want to check out more of that stuff because I do these online courses you want to go to pointblank.com I believe it is and uh there's there's yeah pointblank music I better just check that actually because I it's don't know
0: very, very good, actually. Yeah, they,
1: they do. Uh, yeah, point. It's actually pointblanklondon.com. If I just go here, you should be able to just drop it
0: down. Point I'm going to change blank. my name next week. Sledge Spears. Sledge
1: Spears. Yes. Sister Sludge. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, so check that out. They've got some courses. I'm sure you can buy it in various different modules and what have you. And uh, Anyway, that was kind of a bit of fun. Uh, so, um, someone
2: said in the chat room that Bob Holness was the first James Bond. I think that's actually true.
1: Uh, really? No. I don't think that's true.
2: I think... They're... Oh, I don't know. I think it is because there was that weird British film that was made of James Bond before this sort of real blockbuster series started, and there was a there were a couple that were made with very unlikely actors. David oh. Niven,
1: have to. Uh, David never might. Yeah, that's. Imagine not being the James oh, Bond that actually cut you. I was the bloke in Je- who was. I was the pilot James Bond. I didn't make it into the full series. Anyway, uh, let's get on to some more. Ah, oh, yes, this is reference tracks. This is, again another great uh, um, source, uh, which was from Reddit. If I bring this up, I can pop it in there. Uh, this is uh, frequently asked uh, Mix engineers, what are your favourite reference mixes? And this was quite interesting because obviously. Um, Uh, I completely misunderstood because I didn't pay any attention to what I'd actually sent out previously. And I thought, Mark, that one I played by Aluna George was yours, (laughs) just as a guess, because I thought, oh, that's quite a good track and a good video. But um, that's an interesting point. So, you know, when you get someone, you need to listen because we've talked about monitors and we've talked about what you use, Mark. But, you know, to, to, to get familiar with a system or a room or whatever, or a PA, what is it? I mean, I know most, most people are, used to play um, Simply Red or something equally Ew. as, equally as uh, you know, for testing PAs. So,
0: Dave, what do you use? Oh, blimey, I've got, like... Yeah, I've probably got four or five that I go to. Uh, jellyfish, Spilt Milk, actually. That's one, definitely. Uh-huh. Um, Talk Talk, After the Flood, definitely. And right. Michel Undercello, a track called The Way, which has just got this incredibly punchy bottom end. So all of those uh, generally... It's good. Of probably
1: Yeah, it's probably good to have a selection because not many tracks have everything, do they, I suppose?
0: I find it really good, particularly when auditioning things like D2A converters or speakers and stuff like that, you know. We'll go back through a bit of Stevie Wonder and then also cross-reference it with something kind of modern but sort of... Oh, yes, that's the other one, isn't it?
1: Played. The other one is... Um, oh, God, what's his name? Steely Dan. Firefly. Everyone. Donald
0: Fagan. No, 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 no. Everyone goes for uh, Garretcher or something, don't they? Ruby. Go, go...
1: Ruby. Yeah. Ruby, I, Ruby. Donald I think I'd go for Little Feet, actually, because that was all engineered by George Massenberg, wasn't it? And that some of those records sound absolutely amazing. This really, if you if you're not familiar with Little Feet, check them out. Things like Down Below the Borderline, uh, those that they were the they were the sort of people who started off that kind of whole Southern Shuffle sort of vibe. The six eight, mm-hmm. I think they might have been prior. Or did Bernard Purdy play on some of those tracks? I'm not sure. He may have done. Oh, forgotten. But name. anyway, um, that's where that, some of that stuff sounds really beautiful. And the drum, there's a track There's a drum solo in. I think it might be Down Below the Borderline. Uh, I forget now. It's a long time since I listened to it, which just sounds gorgeous. And and yeah, George Massenberg Either um, I think he did engineer those.
0: Trying to think who the spilt milk guy was. Ah, it's going to drive me nuts now. Oh, right.
1: well, it'll come well, to you. It'll come yeah. to you. Uh, what about you then, Mark? What's what do you tend to kind of listen to uh, when you kind of just want to check out a room or a, a PA or any of the, the above?
2: Um. What do I kind of listen to? Uh, I because I make electronic music and because I mix in a computer, I tend to listen to things which have been mixed in computers. So one of my favourite tracks is Felix to House Cat. Ah. Because that track is so extreme. The sounds in it are so extreme because it's all been done I think it was done in Cubase and I don't think it went through even went through a desk. So so all Which of one the was way- it called?
1: We All Wanna Be Prince? What uh, do you remember what uh, the track was? Uh, I was just trying to play a little section of it.
2: It goes... Dun, 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 dun. Okay, I can't, <laughs> I can't type that into YouTube, that. unfortunately. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Never mind. I'll just play one randomly and I can't and see what remember that what the like.
2: name of the track is. I've got it in my iTunes. I could probably I'm look at iTunes. Oh, I don't so, I'm going to show you a few things. Where
1: I don't want to hear the ad. I just want to... You carry um, on, But like... then
2: other things. I love Rain Tree Crow because there's something about the way that that's produced, which is... Um,
1: I don't know if it's that, is it? That doesn't sound very extreme. No. Okay. A Rain Tree Crow, yes. The, 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 it's again, the first ju-
2: thing Felix the House Cat did, which is. Uh, I don't uh, which, it's yeah. called, it's like Harlot, I think it's called.
1: Okay. I'll see if I can find it, but I'm not having much luck.
2: Um, uh, I also like the cardigans, a Raise and rewind, and that's because it's got like a really kind of uh, very, very distorted base that doesn't take up any space in a really interesting way. And then I think. That kind of tests out that kind of area of the PA because you don't want that to, or oh, anything, any speakers. I don't want that to be muddy. I want to hear what's going on in those frequencies. Ah, uh, yeah, I got you. And then I love Hella Good because that's really yes. produced. And if you put that on, that gives you a good sense. That's of, again, that's mixed uh, by
1: uh, Spike Stent. Oh, that's mixed by um, Mark Spike Stent, I think. Um, that Is no doubt stuff. Uh, yeah. Well,
2: if anything's been mixed by Spike Stent, I'd probably like it.
1: Um. Yes, I think that's a, th- those are all and good choices.
2: Madonna's music is also good because it's electronic. It's been mixed in a computer. It's it's highlighting the areas of sound which I want to, kind of reference and check and where I'd that, like. My that that was Mark Spike well. Stent
1: too, <laughs> and he makes. It, he, yeah, he he works on SSL or used to work on an SSL because we did. There was Gulf Rap album I did where we worked with Spike Stent and I actually went up to. The, to Olympic when it was still there and and was involved in the sessions, just helping them get the stuff out of the computer and going, oh yeah, that's the bit, you know, this needs to come out. And he would ask me, I was sort of p- programming assistant on it uh, for, for a couple of days while I set it all up. And that, uh, yeah, that he'd just done um, music at that point or, or one before, I think. Yeah. And then
2: of course, and then my biggest problem is if I set up a system listening to those things and then I play the guitar, the guitar gets m- m- kind of... You know, I like a nice 70s guitar sound. It just ends up bleeding into everything and sounding absolutely awful. So I'll then contrast that by listening to things probably, I mean, my guess is that most of the things I like have been mixed by Ken Scott. So lots of the Bowie things that he mixed. I might, uh, I love All the Young Dudes by Mott the Hoople. I might put that on really loud. Um, And I might listen to some Susie and the Banshees as well. Particularly happy house or spellbound because those things, the They're very, way the yeah. There's lo- are, and there's also and lots of the really of there's lots
1: of really complex mid in those with all the sort of uh, chorus and the fangers and the multi-layer guitars, aren't there? There's, it's quite detailed.
2: Well, I like the snare sound. Right. So if I'm hearing the snare sound and I've the, and the snare sounds right to me on a set of speakers, then I know that I can go into that area. If I'm trying to get my drums to sound good, I want them to be in that kind of area. So ah,
1: got you. Got you, got you.
2: Um, and there are tracks that I know really well because I've listened to—I mean, I've probably listened to those tracks for, or some of those tracks for like thirty years or whatever. So I sort of know what they're going to sound like.
1: Uh, what am I trying to do? Oh,
2: uh, I, I also—I also have some. Uh, there's a fabulous website um, which has reference piano tracks, which is a piano player with a set of really high-end, and I think they're Earthworks mics like put on it and they've been recorded at like 192 24 bit and they're absolutely pure and kind of perfect and if you put them on and you listen to that and it sounds like a piano in a room then you're halfway there i think
1: uh, yeah that's an interesting idea because it's a full range instrument as well yeah i guess yeah, that's, that's a good idea and
2: really for dynamics as well for like and hearing what's kind of going on when the dynamics are going on i think it's important
1: yeah absolutely definitely i think i mean i tend to go for stuff well i'm not that i'm really operating in that world anymore but i did have a think about it i did i sort of did most of the pre-mix work for a track called white horse for golf rap and they pushed the sort of essentially they pushed the faders up and kind of did what they did but they used my drum submix and the as the kind of core of it so i know that really well because i had to program it in great detail so i listened to that for the for because it's such a familiar sound because i must have heard it about a million times uh K.D. Lang, anything off the Ingenue album, which I've said a million times, it's just a, such an amazingly recorded record. If you can hear that level of detail, then it definitely helps. Uh, and uh, there was a track that I did, which I was trying to find, it was by a band called Sunna, uh, called Burning Holes, and it's kind of an analogue mix, which is just loads of synths and stuff, and I really, uh, I just only found it again this afternoon, because I was wondering what happened to it, and I, I definitely, because uh, that that had a, a very familiar sound. It had loads of bottom end, and I know there was too much on it, so I could kind of gauge it from that. But, yeah, I think it's important to have some kind of reference stuff, though, isn't it? For sure.
2: Definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Uh, right. Um, another bonkers controller. Yeah. Or we could do the... What's the time? It's five o'clock. We could do the new Daft Punk album, because obviously, you know, this is this is everywhere, and it, we we sort of ignored it a little bit, and it was only because I was talking to Rich uh, about it, because obviously Rich Hilton is a regular guest on the show, and he uh, plays with Nile Rogers, and Nile Rogers obviously played guitar on uh, Get Lucky, which is the... Um, Kind of first single, which is everywhere, and it's just—it's the fastest-selling record of the year. It's outsold everything. It's had the most streams on Spotify. This is uh, random access memories right here, and this is the two robots, and they've done a brilliant job because basically no one will ever know who they are anymore because they've just covered their faces up with these helmets. So it could be anybody showing up because presumably they don't have to talk either. They could just show up and kind of shake hands like, like a kind of Mickey Mouse at Disneyland, where where they're not allowed to talk. So you never know who it is. It could be anybody
2: it's
1: like stig isn't it from top gear yeah it's it's that kind of thing because they're wearing sort of uh, very disco let's see if there are some pictures i did actually find yeah there's a bit of a there's a teaser which i can probably play a little bit of which uh, if i go here oh lordy i don't know what that is that doesn't sound right does it something's playing but i don't know what it is help
2: so it's the middle
1: what's that where's that coming from (laughs) Is that this? God, I don't know what that is. Oh, it might be that. Yeah, that's what it is. So, yeah, this is the, the video that they did, which was the kind of uh, just them, like they got the first wax cut. They've just waxed a hottie and they're checking it out on the state of the art and then it starts and they put the record on and they're all robot and everything, which is it's just a great bit of marketing. But the other thing that's quite interesting about this, and this is something that Rich was talking about as well, you know, the idea that it's been this organically produced disco record. Um, which I, I'm sure can't be the case because I'm pretty sure most of the most of the people will have just done their overdubs and they put it together in a computer and tried to make it sound organic. But it, it, it still it's a brilliant piece of marketing. I know Dave. There was I noticed there was some discussion with you about what your thoughts were of the of the new album. What do, what do you make of it? <laughs>
0: It's <laughs> going to be a short topic. I'm com- completely indifferent to it, I have to say. Uh, what I need to do, I, I'm destined to do some serious decorating over the weekend, so maybe I should just kind of play it a few times while I'm decorating, but I know we had a brief conversation with Val Muso, Rob, and I don't know, I like this idea that they've gone for session musos and big expensive studio bits of gear and all the rest of it, but, you know, half of it. It's What I find quite entertaining is how the press have really jumped on that. Yeah. How that has become the kind of focus of everything and how, you know, and I think, I don't know, I just, you know, it really has kind of opinions just totally polarised, isn't it? Well, like any good pop release should, I suppose. I mean, it's... Yeah, and I like that. And it's that idea that, I think in a lot of ways, you know, Daft Punk were kind of always seen as the kind of hip underground people and this clearly isn't that. But I mean, they are, you know, there's a lot of mastery gone on. But I don't know, it just kind of, maybe it's just because it's not what I'm into But at at this moment in time. But it's, it's kind of left me cold.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, it has caused. I'm. A, I mean, I like the sounds and everything. I mean, I, in that the, that's the only single I've really sort of listened to. I mean, there's some quite interesting uh, collaborative videos. The vocoder
0: talk... clavi stuff is beautiful. What would and they have? What, what... Anything with nylon is just always got a groove. Yeah.
1: What would they have used that vocoder? Because it's such a unique, specific sound, right?
0: Oh, the main vocoder that runs through the thing is the Sennheiser, the same one that Herbie Hancock used on Sunlight and Feats Don't Fail Me Now. Uh Which, again, is a kind of, yeah, it's really nice to hear that because it's very distinctive, but it just... You know what my missus thinks of vocoders. Yeah, she won't have um, it on, and she won't have it on well, in the album. <laughs> it also reminded me of a time when I was totally obsessed with that Herbie Hancock sunlight album, and in particular, feats don't fail me now. You know, I thought it was you, and all those kind of things. And my folks were just like, you know, I I seem to remember my dad, me getting into my dad's car, him giving me a lift, me putting the cassette of that into the cassette machine, turning it up, and I seem to remember my dad just taking it out and throwing it out the window because of that annoying noise. So, yeah, it's kind of... It's all very interesting.
1: Ah, well... I think um, uh, there's been some interest because it looks like you know Niall obviously got on. Nile obviously got on with the two guys, uh, and there was some talk. i was digging, just digging around. And apparently, Nile told the Daily Star newspaper recently. I recently found a treasure trove of old stuff I wrote years ago that's been hidden in a studio vault. It's unreleased material from the late '70s and early '80s, and has never has to see the light of day. Especially now, I've met some producers that I trust, like Daft Punk. So it'd be kind of wow. interesting to see, you know, how that sort of came out. Uh, because obviously yeah. Niall Nile is always sort of on top form but now I guess it sort of brought him right into into focus again because he's you know everybody's hearing what a bloody great guitarist he is amongst other things yeah um mark have you heard it
2: i have heard it what somebody do you think? recommended that i should listen to it they said have you heard the new Daft punk album and i went mm, no and i put it on and i listened to the whole thing and i went yeah, it's all right, and I, and and anything with Niall on it, I was I kind of went, wow, this is really kind of groovy, and that's I mean that's actually how I met Rich Hilton because uh, Niall did some work with Duran Duran, and Rich is Nile's sort of uh, sound engineer and programmer, so I met Niall when he was doing that, and just to stand next to him when he's playing the guitar, it's like it is like one of those all the hairs on the back of the neck kind of moments, and you just kind of like, wow. And um, so and then I kind of got on with, like, whatever I was doing that particular day, and then I went, hang on, there's one song on there I want to hear again. And I went back, and it's Get Lucky, and I put it back on, and I listened to it, and then it was in my head as an earworm, and it just stayed in my head. as an. And, and every time anyone mentions Daft Punk, it's just like... So it's unbelievably catchy. Yeah, they do dri-
1: they do drive it home with with vengeance, so, don't they? Yeah.
2: And then having analyzed it. Some of their turnarounds, the way they get from bridge to chorus and then back out and then back into verse are so clever and those little twisty little and like Dave says the clavvy things with the little funky vocoder things it's just like wow that's such a hook there's so many hooks that like link the things together and then this relentless hook and then i think and i think uh, the fact that they haven't overly tuned the vocals and it sounds like human beings singing it's like, this is the new sound. This is, I th- I'm really convinced that we're sick of vocoders now, and that's got to stop, and we're all going to go back in the direction of having human beings singing slightly out of tune and stacking vocals and getting that kind of, like, oh, there's lots of people here. The it's human a party sound. vibe going. Yeah, you know, may be right. Rather than, oh, there's lots of robots here. It's a bit clinical and kind of like, you know... Well,
1: it's quite ironic that they dress as robots, then, if that's the case. It's quite... Uh, maybe they're, uh, well, it's
2: maybe. The,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Is that, they're a bit, well, they are French, aren't they? And they do, you know... I mean, let's, let's be honest. Uh, it's, uh, a French national trait is the enjoyment of those kind of uh, philosophical conundrums, shall we say.
2: Well, the, the other thing it reminds me of is when I went to the south of France with Duran Duran in 2001 to start the album with the five original members... Um, we were in a villa in Saint-Tropez, which meant, of course, we went to lots of nightclubs in Saint-Tropez. And a big record at the time was that, um, uh, ooh, baby, yeah. music sounds better with you. That and is- then, like that whole French disco kind of Saint-Tropez kind of upmarket, you know, we're doing very expensive cocaine instead of like snorting cheap speed kind of market, <laughs> <laughs> drinking Cristal. I mean, that kind of world it that this music is very much in that kind of world and it's sort of it sounds much the same as it did 10 years ago doesn't it really or so and they've just done a very good job of getting that feel of being in that club and somebody had said to me like what do you think of it and I said well it's kind of okay but it would sound much better if I was in the Saint-Tropez nightclub than than it does in my kitchen but
1: it is it is a great-sounding record in a club, that. I mean, it's just... And the compression of what have you on it is brutal, but it just so... It really does sound a really, really... I mean, it's a great-sounding... I mean, that's that's their signature track, isn't it, really? I mean, that's kind of...
2: It's the, it's the track that's the earworm that you just can't get once you've heard it. It's very difficult to dislodge that from your consciousness. Yeah. But the same as that, the music... Uh, you know, that, ooh, baby, the music sounds better with you thing. I mean that is lodged in my consciousness even after 12 13 years it's mm. still or oh, even no more than that even when did that record come yeah, out it was, it yeah 99 or something i know. But, i mean I, if i think about that record i can hear most of it clearly in my head like it's almost like it's playing in the room so i mean if, for something to be that lodged if I listen to Daft Punk a few more times, I imagine this will be as lodged as that. I've got their, you know, their first album, which I listen to a lot, but I can't recall really any particular track from that. So maybe they've um, they've just done something a bit more clever, perhaps.
1: Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I think from what, uh, there, there's the piece by George when they're talking about Giorgio Moroder, there's a, because they have an interview with Nile Rogers an interview with uh, Giorgio for uh, Moroder, and he's talking about them saying how finickety and precise they are, so I'm sure that there's a whole lot of stuff going into that. i tell you what I really, really like on that track, and it's almost a hook in itself, it's the hi-hat part. The hi-hats just sound really, this is Get Lucky, just sound really, really good. And I don't know. I was talking to Rich about this and wondering whether or not they maps use the old trick of you know putting the hi hats through like the drama gate, so everything goes f- slightly. It's got a little bit. Of, they put attack onto drums and to hi hats and cymbals and things by putting it through gates and precisely doing. It. I mean, be, I'm sure they're probably not using hardware for that kind of stuff, but all those kind of tricks. And one of the things that's quite interesting in their, uh, in this piece also, but about Niall, that, Niall told the newspaper he said um, that you know they actually. He told them a load of chic tricks, which I think is a great uh, term. So, you know, all, a lot of the sort of nifty things they used to do to kind of spice up their mixes and get things sounding the way. I think he kind of chatted to them about it. And that was, I, I like the idea of them kind of, you know, getting all that information and applying it. Because some of those things, I mean, there aren't going to be very many engineers around or producers around that can remember how to do that kind of stuff and how they did those things, and how you gate this off that to get that, and and what have you, so you know, I like the idea of that actually kind of being passed down to, to, it's a bit of a romantic
0: notion. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. was this amazing self-publicist though, isn't he? I mean, I was, when Rich, how long was Rich here, like two days or something? Yeah. And in that time, Niall must have been on like about 20 radio shows, I was like, i'm glad he does it but i was like how does he do this i mean he's no spring chicken anymore it oh, was what? just amazing and really interesting stuff you know i think if i'd have been mark in that room i'd have just kind of soaked up everything like a sponge
1: i think the thing about him is because you know he's been around a while he's just got an endless source of anecdotes
0: <laughs> so it just... oh his his bio was just the most amazing thing i've read you know, i've certainly...
1: got i've got to go i'm gonna to have to read that i don't i don't oh. I, I have to wait for the audio books i just can't I, the thing is now i can't read normal books because i fall asleep really yeah. quickly oh, and it's just because yeah. you know my tired old eyes it's just because I'm, I'm where i hold a book it's just in the wrong place for the difference between these glasses and my close-up glasses which is making me sound like incredibly old git but uh, that's just the way i it just goes. bought
2: these from the boot sale i'm on plus two now
1: Ah, well, there you go. I'm
2: I'm sort of slowly noticing that things have to go further and further away, but now (laughs) I've noticed... (laughs) <laughs> even with the glasses on, they're far away, and I'm thinking like this isn't so good, really, is it? And maybe yeah. you need the next one up.
1: Maybe you do. Um, I've just got to say there was another topic here because obviously we had uh, on the uh, we had a post. We've been sort of getting these blog posts, I guess posts, in, and uh, Ed Egan, for who's the guy who's uh, done a lot of work on the Huck and Continuum Kyma sound engine, amongst other things, has got a massive um, surge modular system. He sent us in a piece which has gone absolutely viral. It's bonkers. I'll just uh, drop it here. This is uh, uh, Holy Schmidt Quality Matters. This is the kind of notion that this synthesizer is is almost the the most expensive synthesizer and unattainable. The only reason it is is because it's unashamedly expensive. And the thrust of his kind of essay is that essentially we do not pay enough and we expect to get so much stuff. But actually, you know, it takes a lot of money to... uh, to kind of create these things and we're, we're essentially asking for things to be paid for too cheaply and there's, I mean, there are endless comments and some of them are quite interesting, particularly about the idea if you play the double bass for instance or any kind of large string instrument you're going to be paying thousands and th- five grand is a cheap double bass, you know, so... The thought of paying twenty thousand bucks for a Schmidt, which is an incredibly complicated piece of equipment, is is next to nothing. But it, it, this is more the representation. I know, Dave. I know if you wanted to come in on this, I know, Synthopia po- sort of posted it as well, and it's also debated a low got a load of debate on that. But uh, it was essentially our musicians too cheap to pay for good stuff. <laughs> I mean, you are a vendor, obviously. So
0: yeah, or, and one of. The- I mean, we've, God, where do I even start on this subject? I was very tempted to go on at the end of everybody else's post and just go, ooh, because people don't off get hit up about <laughs> stuff like this. And sometimes with good cause, but, you know, the bottom line is it's they're all tools and they're all valid and in the hands of the right... Person, everything is everything has great possibilities. I really like Ed. I like his uh, demo stuff. I love the Hack and Continue. So I kind of see where he's coming from with this. What I found really fascinating about this is that we've been approached by several hardware companies to collaborate on things, and I won't, we won't get involved. I feel very passionate about landfill. I think we have a responsibility nowadays to stop this massive turnaround of basically just using up resources for the sake of it, for the sake of a fast buck. So in the past where I've been, you know, reasonably scathing on this whole everybody chasing the lowest price point, it's normally been motivated by that. And whilst I and you have to understand to a degree i'm i I, i'm a little bit of a freak i drive a 40 year old car that i spend a disproportionate amount of money on trying to maintain we have mountains of old gear that we also spend a disproportionate amount of money on trying to maintain so for me the idea of kind of preserving this old gear is is it, it's just so embedded in my psyche. You know, my wife upcycles old furniture. So it's very much a part of our lives. So I hate to see this kind of waste for the sake of it. And that's one of the reasons why I kind of love software, even though I advocate, you know, I love hardware. One of the reasons why I love software is that we're not, you know, killing. Uh, we're not just using natural resources for the sake of a quick bug, although there is an argument that, you know, big um, cloud farms and all the rest of it are causing as much damage as, uh, you know, various yeah. mines, metal mines and stuff like that. So I found this really, really fascinating and what I was surprised was that that was hardly raised as an issue. It just seemed to be... On one hand, people saying, actually, you can't make good music on cheap pieces of kit, which you can, but the chances are it's going to be for a limited time. And then on the other hand, people saying, oh, you know, the thing is that the expensive pieces of kit are the preserve of the elitist, which I don't think is necessarily true either. So that's my tuppence worth, and I'm glad we got to that point because that was quite important to me to say that.
1: Good. Well, I'm glad you got that off your chest. And I, th- I I'm, I'm tend to agree, really, because... Um everybody gets really excited about these kind of fast cheap uh, stuff which you know the mass market is by nature driven by these kind of things but it does yes the packaging and all of those things and the, and the shipping it just sort of starts to get a little bit uh, uh just yeah just generates waste and resources and that is problematic but i,
0: I think, think with sorry yeah i, go, I think I, no I, I think with uh you know we come from a generation where you if you bought something like a cs80 you know that that was at least a year's worth of money and you would have to devote all of your time to learn that particular instrument inside out and that's the same for all of this you know the reason we got the modular is that we really want to explore that whole thing so it's not a kind of flippant instrument whereas i think now with everything being cheap 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 People, there is a term we have here in that, you know, a lot of cases, we talked about this with gem and stuff, people become kind of preset junkies. No one really explores. And I think in some cases, when you make that serious investment in a piece of gear, you really feel obliged to explore it to the absolute limit. And that's creative.
1: Yeah, I think that is a fair point. And that was kind of the thrust of his argument as well. But he was getting quite a lot of flack and a lot of support. So it's a very uh, polarised argument, but it's an interesting it, one. It's, it's
0: fantastic that people get so animated.
1: Yeah, about. yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> and obviously more page use for us, which is also great. But, you know, I'm glad that we were able to give it a voice. So, don't know, Mark, what do you kind of make of it?
2: Um, I think that certain instruments become like almost beautiful pieces, but pieces of art or furniture or something so i think um i think really the fact that the leds change color is possibly the most important thing. <laughs> um no sorry i'm being really flippant no i think it's what i think i mean if i had the money to buy things like that and i wanted to kind of create that beautiful studio environment you know like when you walk into a professional studio and it's all like light wood and the desks laid out in front of you, and the speakers are up, in the water and you are just kind of in there, and you sort of feel like, "Wow, I've just walked into the lap of luxury." Well, I mean, it makes it, you it, feel that's,
1: focused, that's doesn't
2: well, it? It well, it makes me feel like, "Hey, I'm a musician, and I've got a record deal, and I'm making a, le- uh, you know, I'm making a record, and and my label are paying for all this. Of course, they're not. You are, but um, but you sort of feel it's it's it has a in the psyche it has a place in the psyche for getting you into the frame of mind for writing in that way so i think if you have i mean in dave's world dave's psyche is that he's surrounded by beautiful old instruments which in a sense uh, the the aesthetic of that is going to put him in a certain place if i was to suddenly say you know what i'm going to start making software since and i was to do it in my uh, back garden shed and and I was sitting out there with a load of spiders and stuff, I don't think my software synths would have the same quality as uh, someone who's sitting in a a room full of real old synths. There's an essence of that kind of relationship that's going to end up in the software. So when I buy a piece of software from Dave, it's going to have something of that vibe about it. So in terms of, like, this hardware synth, there's there's a sort of a quality and and a... A kind of a a whole feel to that end of the market that's going to put you in a certain frame of mind when you're using it and I think that's what it's where it's true value lies that it's going to take you it's the relationship between man and machine isn't it if I buy something for 39 bucks from from Walmart and it's got a midi socket on it and I start trying to write music on that the, the frame of mind I'm in is not going to be the same as the frame of mind I'm in if, I, if I'm playing something which is beautifully textured and like made of wonderful wood.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. I think there is something to be said also, though, that sometimes these flagship instruments, which try to achieve so much, are are not always finished. And you end up with something, yeah, well, investing, and you end up with something, you know, it's like, the, I'm thinking of the Joe Mox uh, Sun Sin, you know, which is a, on paper amazing. But... You know, I don't know what happened to the OS. I remember reviewing it, and it wasn't working properly then. And uh, and and so the wave. I noticed, I noticed, for, yeah, well, world of wave. I mean, the there, there are. There I mean, are.
2: my friend Pat, who's a, who's, he's the same age as my dad actually. So he's eighty years old. So and he used to work in Argents as a keyboard salesman maybe thirty years ago, and then he retired, and he just got into buying and selling scents from his flat in Chelsea. And actually, I think he knows your your. Lot Dave, I think he sold synths to some of to Carl or or someone from that camp. Certainly, I mean they used to go and see him, and he just like knew all the people who were in kind of synth bands and used to buy and sell stuff. But I mean he was a, a pensioner living in a, a little kind of a two-up flat in uh, Chelsea in a, in a council estate, and he invested his basically his entire life savings in a Waldorf wave and had this you'd walk <laughs> into his flat and he'd got like kind of you walk and you got the like the bathroom and the kitchen on the left and then he had a living room which was sort of also the bedroom so it was a tiny little flat and then right in the middle of the flat would be like this huge Waldorf wave thing that he'd spent seven or eight grand on and mm-hmm. I'd be thinking like my god you know, it just seemed like a crazy thing to do, but to him it was like the Holy Grail, and it was like, you know, it was the, the, he used to buy and sell guitars as well. I suppose this is where I get that analogy from, that like he'd have like Gibson ES, whatever they're called, you know, the really old jazz guitars from the 1940s hanging on the wall, and it's kind of in the same vein, isn't it? When something's made beautifully out of really nice kind of wood, it becomes, you know, like an art piece, I suppose. You know,
0: I'd like to see, like, an end-to-end life of synthesizers or electronic instruments, you know, like you're having cars. And then it transpires that, you know, something like a Prius isn't actually as uh, environmentally friendly as you thought it was because it's made of all sorts of weird composite plastics, which... You know, there's been an awful lot of weird, strange manufacturing processes. And then it turns out, you know, Wrangler Jeep, because it's made of wrought iron, seems to be the, the, you know, has the most efficient end-to-end life. I'd love to see a similar kind of thing in uh, electronic instruments. it be really fascinating. I would Which, imagine the, well, the plastic uh, modular ones would, to, would work.
2: The plastic ones would have to be made out of recyclable plastic then, wouldn't they? I mean, hmm. most of these cheap, hard plastics aren't recyclable. They can't be. I suppose the tricky
1: part is, is yeah. Once they warm up and you start kind of weighing on, they start sort of melting like uh, like cheap shopping bags. (laughs) They disintegrate. There's only a certain amount of life. You can only play them for so long before they start to degrade, and you end up with just sort of pile of
2: well. uh, I mean, all joking aside. I mean, I was looking K two thousands on eBay the other day, and I sort of thought, oh, hang on a minute, that might be useful to have, and. um I looked at it, it, went for like 80 quid or something, but the the, the main part of the advert said that the keys had gone yellow, so the thing worked perfectly, except the keys weren't white anymore, they were yellow, so one has to think that the plastic had degraded in such a way that the keys had changed colour, and I've seen that on I think that's no, to everything. do with
1: sunlight. Yeah, no, I've got some synthesizers here with yellow keys. Uh, uh, you know, it does happen. Uh, Audio says in the chat room, obviously, yes. Apparently, the new MS twenty couldn't be exactly re- reproduced because of ROHS standards. Yeah, they couldn't use cadmium. They couldn't use certain things, which meant that those components were no longer available. Uh, and that's uh, those sort of things are issues. But that's good, right? Because that means you know, I mean, the MS twenty is built and lasts. Like a tank, but I know it might be emanating some sort of ghastly, <laughs> ghastly chemical into my work environment, slowly releasing cadmium rays or whatever they are. Um, so it might not be doing. i mean, unfortunately I don't play it all that much. But yeah, there's a, uh, there's an interesting. Yeah, uh, Mr. Cos says in the chat room, it's a chemical in the chat in the plastic uh, reacting with the sunlight. So I guess that's why it's a um, it's a uniform yellowness generally. But I've got, yeah, I've got it here. Um, you can't see it, but this is no longer as white as it was and I, it was i did love it in the window for a little bit this is the Korg um, nano control which is british what i used to control the switching for this and that's gone a bit yellow
2: so yeah who's Zen artist in the chat room says he wants to get an old powers pc powerbook um, but i would i would recommend the old imac the tangerine imacs because i bought one of those off ebay for 5 pounds and it works perfectly well i mean computing's a weird area isn't it the 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 reason why computers don't work anymore is because everybody upgrades everything so quickly that the the newer software that everything's running won't work properly on the older
1: yeah i don't know it. i'm not so, sure i would I, maybe but i mean like for instance you know this mac pro here is uh, probably a 2008 2009 model you know that's it, pretty
2: is that an intel machine
1: yeah it's it's a it's right a, it's so a what what happened
2: with adobe and Apple is interesting because everything Oops. prior to Intel machines, all the PowerPC machines, no longer run Flash properly because they just they just stopped updating it. Because Apple Apple won't put anything Flash in any of their iPhones, iPads, or anything like that. And uh, and then Adobe, uh, in sort of uh, retaliation, have decided to sort of drop support for any of their earlier stuff. Now that is a huge landfill creating problem because it. It renders loads and loads of machines obsolete before their time. In other words, the processors are probably perfectly capable of running some of these things, but because they're running in some weird emulation mode because nobody will write drivers or software for them anymore means that they can no longer run these things and they end up being binned before their time. No,
1: you're so absolutely I
2: manufacturers, right. I think manufacturers should be called to task on that if people identify those kind of things and they should not Allow that to happen, and they should say, Well, you're making all this money, you should invest back in those things to make sure they don't go into landfall. Phil.
1: Speaking of uh, my old uh, nano control, I've, since I picked it up and showed it to the camera, it no longer is switching shots, so I'm afraid that. Oh, uh, <laughs> no. so- so I'm hoping it's going to continue to work because it's like the heart of my system. I'll have to switch to using the iPad for it. But it's probably, in that case, a good time to stop because nothing is actually... Uh, nothing is working anymore. But it feels like it's probably a good time. But you made some very good points there. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to come to you for, your, uh, for goodbyes unless I can figure out a way to... I uh, might be able to do it. I have to do it by mouse. Let's see if I can do that. So if I switch that one off... And I switch, uh, oh no, that's going to be impossible. Sorry about this, that's just not going to work. But, suffice to say, um, that'll be the end of the show then. (laughs) Technology has brought it to a premature end, although it was about time and I have got to rush back and uh, do some stuff. But I want to say thank you very much to our guests. uh, Dave Spears, who I can't switch to, but I can assure you is looking devilishly Uh, handsome in front
0: of course (laughs) can I just mention something that Chris asked me to mention at the beginning of the show Uh, 64-bit VSM and MTRON Pro is out and as a way of saying thank you for uh, waiting we've done a couple of freebie expansion packs one's the Philips Philcordia which is a great little organ and the other one (laughs) is the Hona bass and I'm there and I just saw me
1: yes it just came out I just unplugged it and plugged it in again
0: that's, ah, the, that's the good one so it's one. not consigned to landfill
1: no it's not I, it's, I, this has been getting good value out of this and of course okay so yeah 64 bit uh, there you go geforcesoftware.com go get them do that stuff and also thank you very much to Mark Tinley uh, for being in there as well this week and uh, for sharing your, um, your um, findings
2: ma- rants yeah well oh, no your no, findings
1: on the uh, on the, the the Mac Pro book I think that's right. ProBook no, Pro Max, sorry, and we'll hopefully yep. we'll have a little article on that. If you want to find out more, what Mark's up to, likebeing.com. dot com. Thank you very you much, very Mark. Very
2: welcome. I'm sure I was meant to say something else, but I can't remember what it was. So,
1: ah well. And of course, we want to say thank you very much to our show sponsors. Go get your free download, Iris dot com. I've just actually had an email from Kim at uh, Isotope saying, "No, let's not go with the '80s." Um, 80s one how about this but obviously it's too late so I'm going to go with the we, we want to hear 80s tribute bands a kind of imaginary ones so it's essentially funny ones leave them in the comments below uh, either on YouTube or when we post this video up uh, on the Sonic State um, comments system as well And uh, the one that we like the most will win a copy of Iris, and maybe there'll be another competition at some point in the future. But once again, I want to say thank you very much to everybody. Uh, This was Sonic Talk number 315. And, uh, oh, yes, come and see us again live next week. We broadcast every week, sonicstate.com forward slash live. So that's it. I'm just going to press stop.